Welcome, welcome. It's another edition of the Terry's Talking Podcast. I'm David Campbell, the host, sports manager at Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. And joining me, as he does every week, is Mr. Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from The Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. And boy, Terry, I thought getting Taylor Swift tickets was hard. Anything, the only thing I can think of that compares is trying to get a ticket to your, your talks at the library at uh, an Alliance tonight, which is sold out, right? You're at the Rodman Library and Alliance later tonight. We're taping this on Tuesday afternoon. Yeah. And there's yeah. a waiting list, huh? Yeah, there is. And so if you go out, it's going to be a, a shot, a tough shot to get in or not. But uh, uh, the next, little difference is I'm a little cheaper than Taylor Smith, Taylor <laughs> Swift, I think. So, yeah, we that that I'm glad about that. That should be a fun night tonight in Alliance. So, and it's at six thirty. So, if you want to catch Terry at his next library appearance, he is going to be at the Lake Community Library two weeks from tonight. That's Tuesday, June eleventh, and that's at six p.m. And that's located at five sixty-five Market Street in Uniontown. So, check out the Lake Community Library webpage and you can find out more about that is two weeks from tonight at six o'clock so hopefully um anybody who maybe couldn't get into alliance can get to that one so and it's you you always pack the room terry no matter where you speak and i'm not surprised so well i'm glad about that and also just go there and click says click on the the link there at the library to to there and just register so i mean the cool thing is it's, it's free and so i give away a few books answer some questions try to not to sound too stupid and we have a good time all right. Sounds good. And before I forget, I don't want to be a bad host here. I want to remind everybody to sign up for Terry's newsletter. It comes out once a week. I think it's every Monday. And it'll give you everything that Terry has written during the course of the week, including his Faith in You column, which comes out every weekend. It's a great way to keep up with what Terry has going, especially if you're on vacation or out of town. And a lot of people uh, in the summer obviously leave to go places. And it's a good way to catch up with what Terry's been up to. So go to cleveland.com slash newsletters. And you'll see the uh, Terry Pluto newsletter. Just sign up there. It's free. And you get it in your inbox every week. So, all right, Terry, this is a, I guess we should probably start with the Cavs, right? Like uh, this is a pretty big week. week. I guess we can start with the draft. Mm -hmm. And then we've got free agency starting, boy, Friday at 6 p.m. is when teams can start negotiating with free agents. But uh, Amani, go ahead. Before we do the draft, let's let's roll in the free agents first because there's, I think, a story up that uh, Chris Fedor just published. Uh, explaining where the Cavs exactly are with free agency coming. And I think that's important for fans to to understand. Uh, okay. Do, do you want to do that, David? Do you, yeah, do you let's see do that. that. And and obviously the linchpin of everything is Karis LeVert, right, Terry? Right. So wh- why don't we get into that? Um, obviously the reason the Cavs didn't have a first-round pick last week was because of the Karis LeVert trade. But big decision here in terms of he's a, he's a free agent. Do you want to keep him? How much can you spend on him? If you lose him, what are you going to do? They have the mid-level exception that they can use, but it's a really complicated uh, calculus they're dealing with here, isn't it? The bottom line is this. If you sign Karis LeVert, you can still use that mid-level exception, which is approximately $12 million. So you get LeVert and you get another player. If you don't sign LeVert, you just have that mid-level exception. So it's like, Levert is kind of exempt from different salary cap restrictions because he's your own guy, which means I would love to be Karis Levert's agent, by the way, in this situation, because I think I could drive a really hard bargain with the Cavs and, and um, come out pretty well because they would want, you know, would you rather have Levert and someone else or just someone else? That's, that's the bottom line. So uh, even if, Levert sometimes probably drove many of us crazy watching him play. One thing about Levert that I like, um, well, there's a couple of things, but let's start. His effort is always hard. He always plays hard. Secondly, his size. He's got long arms. Uh, he tries to defend different positions. Uh, I also think if he's in a situation where when he's, if they could get him in the mindset coming off the bench to score, he could be very effective. Uh, one of the things that, uh, J.B. Bickerstaff just couldn't decide, does he want him to start with that group or come off the bench or back and forth? And sometimes a player is better off, especially at the start of the season, this is your role. Because he opened the season saying, here's your chance to become the starting small forward, knowing in the back of their mind that he probably was end up coming off the bench. And the Cavs' lack of scoring from the bench was a huge problem all year long for them. So that's it. But I think that's an important point. So that's why you're going to see probably Levert get a bigger contract than you would figure. 
but it's because of the, the way the salary cap's structured, and that still allows the ca- the Cavs to go after you know some other players or take that twelve million dollars and chop it up into a couple places. Like I'd like to see them maybe get Seth Curry, the guard, Stephen's uh, St- uh, Curry's uh, brother, young younger brother, and maybe a you know a small forward of some sort. So that's the deal there. But I just wanted to get that out because it's a really important point. And Chris explains it very well in his story. Yeah, and you should check that out at cleveland.com, Cavs, if you have not already. And, you know, you talk about the salary cap thing, Terry. This is, you know, Levert is known as a bird-free agent, right? He has The Cavs have his bird rights, which goes back to the Larry Bird era yeah. where it's like teams can – spend huge amounts of money to keep their own guys and they can't spend a lot as much money to bring in other teams guys is basically the spirit of it so that's why the Cavs would lose that if, if he left because that's he would take his birds right bird rights and leave so no fly um, away yeah that's right <laughs> um, and his numbers last year just to recap for people who want it is 12.1 points per game shot 43.1 percent from the field 39.2 percent on three pointers that was a career best for him 3.9 assists and 3.8 rebounds in 30 minutes and look at his playoff numbers i did not yeah they're not bad Uh, if you go back and look at them uh game by game that's why it's sort of the wanted not just reading the the cumulative one he had like one game where he's like one for nine and was was really terrible but i thought like in new york and some of the other things he showed up he was not intimidated um by that circumstances some of the other players were so that's the deal so it's carrots plus somebody else or just plus somebody else so take your pick and that's the big decision facing the Cavs. And again, that all starts Friday at 6 p.m. We'll start to see some news breaking and the whole bit. So, all right, you want to go back and talk draft now? Mm-hmm. We can do that. All right, so the headline of the night, of draft night, the Cavs did not make a move. They waited until their pick at 49, and they have taken Amani Bates out of eastern Michigan. Really remarkable story here, Terry. He, he was the number one high school recruit in the country coming out of Ypsilanti, Michigan, and it's just been a really interesting journey for him, and, and he's ended up as a second-round draft pick. And I, I know Chris Fedor, I think he used the term lottery ticket yeah, I agree. <laughs> in terms of a comparison. Do you agree with that? And what, what have you been Absolutely. hearing about Amani Bates? I know you did a column right after the draft pick with kind of what you've been hearing from some coaches and other people in the know. I mean, you, you go from Sports Illustrated cover at the age of 15, even a little younger than LeBron was when he was on the cover, to like, you know, born for this, I think, or something like that was the uh, headline. Two, um, number one, you know, an AAU phenom, number one star, to going to Memphis after he committed, I forgot whether it was to Michigan, I believe it was Michigan State. Michigan State, yep. Yeah. And bumpy time at Michigan, at, at Memphis, he had a, a back injury and averaged nine points. And then he decided, well, I'm going to try to come home and put myself together. And I really believe he thought he was just going to go into the MAC and just dominate uh, because, after all, he had the pedigree. But this guy, he's nearly 6'10". At the, at the um, combine, he weighed only 178 pounds. When you look at his pictures, he's just so thin. And that was the thing when I talked to some coaches who uh, one of them was with, with a team that played him at Memphis – and then some others that played him at Eastern Michigan, they said he's he's just he's thin, he's not strong. And in the Mac, you had kind of like a bunch of six six sort of bully guys sort of moving him around in that. And you look at his stats there, I mean he averaged nearly twenty points, uh, but his shooting percent especially in Mac conference games, was thirty eight percent from the field and like thirty, you know, on threes against Akron and Kent. Uh, two teams I know well, two coaches I know well, and two defensive-minded teams. He shot 30% from the field and was seven or four of 28 on, on threes and I think he averaged like 14, 14 ugly points. So he is a guy that really um, basically should have stayed in school. But they're, as you said, it's the lottery ticket, and they're going to see if they could get them together now. Uh, my column suggested the first thing I would do is when he shows up in campus, he'd be facing, um, he would be facing uh, Okoro and everybody else that I think is a very, very tough minded junkyard type guy. 
and then I would be really working on his body. And then I would also uh, have him play a lot in the G League, which I believe is the plan for him. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of him playing for the for the Cleveland Charge down at CSU. There's there's no doubt about it. And it's interesting, Terry. The the first person that I thought of when they when they picked Imani Bates, and this was kind of weird, but it's how my mind works, was Andrew Barry, the GM of the Browns. Yeah. Because this felt like an Andrew Barry type draft pick. It's like, all right, it's late in the draft. We haven't made any moves. We're going to look for a five star recruit coming out of high school who maybe has gone off the path a little bit. Somebody mm-hmm. who, who who has the talent, who had the talent when they were 18, the potential was all there. Things went a little sideways. And, it, you know, this this was like not to the same extreme, I think, but it's the Donovan Peoples-Jones type of move where Donovan Peoples-Jones was like the number one receiver coming out of New Jersey when he was in high school, went to Michigan, didn't have the production that everybody thought he was going to have because of Michigan's offense was in disarray. Their quarterback situation was in flux. And Andrew Barry's like, hey, this is a five-star recruit coming out of high school. I'm going to take a five-star recruit. At this point in the draft, it's low risk and high reward. Uh, and if it doesn't work out, it's okay, right? Yeah, so. if it doesn't, okay. The one thing that they really, uh, on DPJ, that they liked were two things. One is, you know, he didn't bounce from school to school. He stated that, secondly, academics and character really were high. So he was actually in school for a couple of reasons, not just to play ball. Uh, Abani, Abani Bates had a problem with an arrest off the feel or off off the court in his case and you could tell he just sort of was biding his time to get to the nba you know so many of these kids just figure these high school phenoms i mean there was one close to home here chris livingston from akron close to the number one high school recruit you know just went to high to kentucky for a year averaged six and a half points um ended up going into the draft and was the last pick in the draft by the Milwaukee Bucks. Common sense is now uh, Livingston didn't have any problems off the field or anything like that. But it's like it's another kid you probably just said, go back to Kentucky and play or transfer. Go play another year. You you just need to play. I mean, maybe the Bucks will, will put them in his G League program. And maybe the better thing is to just to go to the G League and just get your pro career going. But to me, um, you know, I saw Livingston more younger than um, uh, I did Bates, and he's clearly got an NBA ability and size and that. Uh, I just think another year at Kentucky, he probably could have played his way into the first round. So that's mm. that's my humble opinion for what it's worth, and, and I just think that's a mistake some of them make. Then the flip side is there is, I call, a discrimination against older players by NBA teams. They don't want some guy that's played four or five years in school. Why are you seeing these guys coming out of the G League who are not drafted, making NBA teams within a year or two? Because just for that explicit reason, they play three or four years. They're tougher, they're older, and they're hungrier. They haven't been told that they are, you know, the greatest thing that ever was since they were 14. And they're ready to go. And here comes Lamar Stevens, the leading scorer at Penn State, who doesn't uh, get drafted, and he makes the Cavs roster. And the Heat, with their whole collection of guys, you just could go all over the place and look at them. And so that's one of the things that I do like what the Cavs did, is they brought in a couple of these guys. Yeah, and just uh, just to play devil's advocate, Terry, like – is this a good thing for Imani Bates? Like instead of staying in school, like he's in the Cavs organization now, he's going to get a heavy, heavy dose of their culture, their defensive culture, their we're going to work hard and produce results culture. He's going to, the Cavs deliberately put their G League team in Cleveland so that instead of in another town, so that it was nearby that the guys who are on the G League team can interact. Um, you know, Evan and Isaiah Mobley are, are playing against each other all the time in practice. Uh, because the team is here. I, I'm wondering if like he's going from being a big man on camp at campus to like the low person in the organization yes. in terms of, and, and I'm just wondering if this might actually be a good thing for him. I don't know. If he's ready for it physically and mentally. Um, like I mentioned like Livingston, you could always argue the sooner the guy turns pro, you get him into your system, you get him going. But, but for the, the kid himself, another year of school, and I can make a stronger argument for Livingston on this than Bates. Uh, then he's far more 
I, I think Livingston would have played his way far, up higher in a draft. I don't know what Bates is doing. I really don't. Um, and so uh, one thing that for the team, it's a great move in that they have hardly anything invested in him. It's the 49th pick. But I liked, for example, what they did two years ago. And when they made the, the move, I was really underwhelmed. They drafted Isaiah Mobley, same 49th pick. And I thought, oh, great. You know, Mobley's younger brother. I'm not sure if there's an agenda here or what. But now that guy, that guy was right. just like, I tell you, the Mobley father, Mr. Mobley, his sons defend, they keep their mouth shut, and they play ball. And <laughs> Isaiah and they and I'm, Mrs. Mobley must have done a good job at home with them too because these kids are ready to play. And he went and he averaged like 20 points, nine and a half rebounds. I'm talking about Isaiah Mobley for the charge. Uh, he had like one really good game I saw on TV and one so-so when he came up at the end of the year. But this guy is going to play his way into being an NBA player. Now, he played two years, but he stayed at USC. Um, so, yeah, biomatic, yeah, let him work on Albani base too. That's another guy I want on Omar Stevens, Isaiah Mobley, and Okoro. Let them go at Bates, and then we'll see. So to your point, yes, actually from the team's point of view, it might be better. But I think from the, from the kid, I mean, you really want to get in that first round. That's where the money is. That's where I was talking to an agent. He said, that's where you finally do get some you know, insurance. That second round, usually the first year is guaranteed, and that's it. Well, it's all out there in front of him, and I guess we'll yeah. see how things go. But I think we'll we'll be seeing a lot of Imani Bates over at CSU this this upcoming season. So, um, a couple other moves, Terry, that the Cavs made. Fans were really excited that the Cavs uh, have signed Pete Nance of a legendary Cavs family um, on what's called an Exhibit Ten contract. That that means they're given a one year minimum salary contract with the option to convert it to a two way deal for the team before the season starts. So. Um, Pete Nance and, and interesting career coming in, coming into the NBA and, and local ties and father and brother who have Cavs backgrounds. Um, so that, that was kind of interesting. I saw him play in high school and talked to him. I've, I mean, of course I covered the father. I wrote several columns of Larry Nance Jr. playing at Revere. Um, I even called a couple of high, college coaches that I know mid-majors about Larry Nance Jr. when he was getting no offers with division two. And they're, oh, you know, he's this, he's that. And uh, he was sort of a late bloomer. And, of course, he ended up going to Wyoming. Uh, Larry Shiat, who knew Larry Shiat was an assistant coach at Clemson and knew Larry Nance Sr., who had played at Clemson. And that's how he went there, played four years. Then nobody thought he would get drafted. He was a late-round pick by the Lakers. And, of course, he's still playing in the league, Larry Jr. we're talking about. Pete was actually considered a better prospect than Larry, taller, uh, more gifted, and he played four years at Northwestern, and then his last year uh, was at North Carolina. He graduated from Northwestern, got the extra year. You know, from now on, I, n- I never even asked, why do they get an extra year? They don't get an extra year. Just, you got an extra year, fine. His last year at Northwestern, which was 21-22, Pete averaged 15 points, and he averaged uh, six and a half rebounds. Uh Shot 50% from the field. This is what I'm sure attracted a cast, 45% on threes. But then he goes to North, uh, to, excuse me, North Carolina, 22-23, uh, playing with a little more talented, around, t- ten, uh, around them 10 points. But his shooting percentage really fell off, 42 points from the field, 32 on threes, six and a half rebounds. I just got done watching about 20 minutes of scouting tape on him. Um, he's got uh, – he really has his father's ability to block shots. He's got the wonderful timing, the long arms, the leaping ability. They ran him at the high post a lot. He's an excellent passer, uh, and they ran cuts off of him, uh, and he really had a good feel for the game. He's listed at nearly seven foot and 220 pounds. Uh, he looks, excuse me, two, uh, 230, but he looks skinnier to me. He just seemed to, to have trouble with the physical part of the game. But he's a perfect guy. One, you know, you got all the intangibles there. And then secondly, um, you got size. You got some passing ability. You got a five-year guy who wants desperately to play. This is your perfect guy that makes an NBA roster, if not this year, in the future, uh, even though he's not highly regarded. 
And both Bates and Pete Nance have in common that they're tall and they can shoot her a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Which is exactly what the Cavs are looking for. So, uh, and Boss say, but the one big difference, along with the maturity thing, is is Pete is very interested in defense. Amani has to prove he is. Now, you do see they took this other kid. They sent this other yeah, kid. Yeah, let's talk about him. So Craig Porter Jr., he's a guard mm-hmm. out of Wichita State. Had some really big offers uh, during his career, Indiana, Kansas, uh, UConn, and um, ended up going to Vincennes as a JUCO player. They won the national championship in JUCO when he was there in 2019. And uh, you like him, Terry, six foot two. Yeah, I do. Uh, what do you What do you like? I watched his tapes, some of his tapes too. Um, he's real good defensively. I mean, he not only let his team in scoring, he let it in rebounding, he let it let it in assist. Wichita State was not very good, by the way. They used to be a power, but they're not now. Um, I like the fact that uh, I believe he was at Wichita State for uh, for three years. You know, he went to Vincennes for two, so he's an older guy. And I know I run against all the analytics and everything else, but I'm very interested in just having these kids uh, be more mature when they come in because it's a tough route. He's he's really a shooting guard. He's more like six one and a half, uh, and that probably worked against him. But he's tough defensively. He's very athletic. Uh, he's the kind of guy you run in the G League, and he ends up making a roster at some point. So both good moves. I, uh, Kobe Altman, I thought on those, and maybe they they might have targeted some of these guys and said, we can get them without drafting them. But somebody may take Bates, so let's take Bates and then go after these other guys that were drafted. By the way, I want to mention another player. He is from our area, but he, he didn't go to the Cavs. Xavier Castaneda from um, Akron, who I saw quite a bit of. Uh, he is a 6'1 guard. Uh, Mostly a shooting guard at that size, although I think he could play some point. He shot 47% at Akron, 39-3. and He's averaged 21 points. Uh, signed a contract, one of those exhibit contracts with the Clippers. Uh, really, uh, um, like, for example, he was first team All-Mac. Bates was third team All-Mac. The All-Mac team is picked by the coaches. See, that was another sign to me that they were not enamored with with Bates. Now, Bates has his chance to really make a lot of us, including me, eat a lot of the words we wrote, or in the days, of, since it's all online, I don't know what it is, I guess just fall on your sword and say you were wrong. Uh, <laughs> eat, your, eat your bites or eat megabytes. Your bites. Of, yeah, 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 right. But eat part of your hard drive. I don't know. So yeah. we'll see. But I just wanted to mention Castaneda because I did was sort of hoping the Cavs would, would sign him. But I think they went for Porter instead because Porter's more of an all-around uh, defensive uh, player along with having uh, some offense and athleticism. All right. Um, hey, we do have a Hey Terry question that's related to the Cavs. So I dropped it in here. This one is from Brian Kirkendall. And Terry, you've been seeing a lot of emails from fans who are kind of worried about the Cavs. And, and Brian kind of wrote about that. He says, Hey, Terry and Dave. I don't get all the gnashing of teeth around the Cavs. Evan Mobley showed signs that he will be their best player maybe as soon as next year. A true franchise piece to build around for the next five-plus years for the Cavs. That is my takeaway from the year. Mobley is on a great trajectory and will explode in the next few years into his type of two-way game, whatever that will look like. Cavs don't need to be nearly as guard-heavy as Garland and Mitchell make it. They need to move the ball around way more. That is when the Cavs are at their best, not when one of them scores 40. Yes, they need to find that three that has some dog in him. Yes, that Knicks series was a bummer. Yes, there are concerns, but the but Cleveland has a budding star with Mobley that every other team would want for the next five years. And then the, again, that's from Brian Kirkendall. So kind of the opposite view we've been seeing. Here's Brian, who's very encouraged. That's kind of what you've been saying. He's right. That's because he's right. And uh, I go back to the Mobley family the way those kids were trained and, and the sky's the limit. They never had from, to tell. And, and Chris Fedor wrote a great piece about last year about the Cavs themselves. The coaches are the ball. telling them MVP, and MVP. You're going to be an MVP someday. What they're gonna so that vision is there. To and, work um, with, uh, so now we just got to keep developing. Now so. look more to score. All right, Terry, well, all the uh, free yeah, agency it, craziness, it starts at 6 p.m. I think it used to be around noon, if I remember. Is that right? Like on a on an afternoon, but they moved it to 6 p.m. It's going to be a lot of news coming out on Friday night and all day Saturday, so we'll be watching for that. And you want to take a break real quick? Sure. All right, we come back. We're going to talk some baseball. I got a thing I want to run past you, Terry. It's something about old-time baseball that I miss. 
that I want to see come back. And I'll, I'll throw that at you. I want to get your thoughts on it. And we've also got a lot to talk about with the Guardians who are starting to hit. So we'll get into that and more when we return on Terry's Talking. We're back on Terry's Talking, David Campbell and Terry Pluto. Um, boy, interesting time with the Guardians, Terry. They have started to hit. And you have a move that you want to see them make, and you've been talking about this for a couple of weeks here in terms of a way to get even more offense into the equation here. What, what do you want to see the Guardians do, and when do you want to see them do it? Well, the numbers start with this, 5 for 54. As bad as I was at Benedict, and I was never 5 for 54. <laughs> <laughs> even if my batting average there of 232 matched my slugging percentage, I still was not 5 for 54. And that is what Gabriel Arias is against left-handed pitchers. They keep running him out there against lefties because he's a right-handed hitter. And I first brought this up in print several weeks ago, so this is not just recent. And it's continued to get worse. So the uh, overall, Arias is three for his last 31. The kid is dying out there. He's really struggling. And I still think Arias is a pretty good prospect. It just needs to go down and play. So the obvious thing to do, besides they're playing an infielder in the outfield. Remember that they were platooning him with Will Brennan, who's, who has struggled against lefties. Uh, the other, you know, on the Guardians, Steve Kwan hits lefties better than righties, and Jimenez hits lefties better than righties, even though they're both left-handed hitters. That's not true of Brennan. He's, he's barely over 200 against lefties. So you send him back, Arias, back to Columbus. You bring up Oscar Gonzalez. Um, Oscar right now at Columbus is batting 368 against lefties, 241 against righties. He started to hit a little better down there. He's up to 269 with six homers and 36 RBIs. Last year actually hit 300 against righties and like 260 against lefties in the, in the majors, but at least he's got some power. And even when they sent him down this year, when he was struggling, he was hitting under 200 against right-handers, but he was hitting like 250 against lefties. Okay, whole bunch of numbers that says this. Arias doesn't hit lefties. Gonzalez hits lefties. Arias is an infielder playing the outfield. Gonzalez is an outfielder in the minors who can play the outfield in the majors. And now he play right field where he played before. He teams up with Brennan, or Brennan can play some center field. You give Straw a little rest or whatever you want to do. Do it. Just stop this. And on top of that, in, in terms of getting a boost on the offense, you also have an arm in right field. Yes. Because Oscar brings that arm. Mm-hmm. And boy, Terry, the, I, you, I don't know if you saw any of the highlights on Sunday when Oscar went five for five yeah. and hit for the cycle in, in Indianapolis uh, with the Clippers. And uh, he's he seems like he's putting it together. His OPS is what, I think, 767 in the minors this mm-hmm. season. Yeah. See, the so. This is the kind of highlights we were seeing last year, finally, when they brought him up. Just pounding ball and also hitting the ball to right center field a lot. So why not bring him up? It's SpongeBob time. <laughs> it's time for SpongeBob. T-shirt. T-shirt. Yeah, it's SpongeBob time. And bring that kid back who had the SpongeBob thing on. And, uh, you know, maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. But um, this is not working with Arius. And really, the – I mean – are they thinking, well, where are we going to play him or whatever? I mean, you, you've you seen uh, a nice thing is I think uh, Tower Fre- uh, Freeman has developed as a pretty nice utility infielder. He looks like he could handle that job. So uh, bring up another outfielder. And for all the Gabriel Arias fans out there, I think he's down to his last option, Terry. So if they do send him down, that might be – it might be a while before you see him again, I guess is what I'm no, saying. No, well, you could so. bring him up – I don't know. Oh, you mean last option for this year or, or just. Yeah, I think he has one left. So okay. they'd have to think twice about bringing him up because they wouldn't be able to send him back well, down. You know, I, frankly, I think. You, you, you send him down. And if you need somebody else, a guy who deserves to be brought back as Rokio. I mean, that's all. It's just look, you're playing to win. Yeah, for sure. And develop. But you're also playing to win. And your problem when you when your other players see these numbers, too, they know what's going on. 
All right, we'll see if they make that move. Usually you tell them they should make a move, and then a couple of days later it happens. So I'm hoping that. We'll, of course, we, we'll we, see. Yeah, we be, this is this is re- reaching Zanino proportions right now. <laughs> it's the, a, a it 10 just, on the Zanino is, scale. The, no, this is just, <laughs> you know, a month ago everybody knew this is coming, you know, just like a month before the Zanino thing. And, and I get why they want to wait because, in fact, later on we have somebody talked about when they gave up on younger players perhaps too soon. Um, but this is you're not releasing Arias. You're just sending him back to the minors. And being in this division, Terry, allows them the patience to do this kind of stuff. I mean, you can play 500 baseball and be a game and a half out of first place most of the middle of the season. So that is very helpful. So, um, all right, Terry, the other big storyline that's going on is Shane Bieber. How long is he going to be on the Guardians? When should they trade him? What can they get for him? Uh, you're, you're seeing something from Shane Bieber that has you a little concerned. Uh, why don't you talk about that for a minute? The other day when, excuse me, the other week when he pitched seven good innings and went out there for the eighth, and I think he gave up three runs, uh, somewhat understandable. His pitch count was up there. But it, suddenly he went from having quite a bit. It looked like he had nothing in that inning. And that was a, I remember that was a, Earl Weaver thing when I was a young baseball writer with the Orioles. And what, you know, what happened to Palmer in the sixth inning? What do you bleep think happened to Palmer in the sixth inning? He had nothing, nothing, bleeping nothing. That's what he had. And I'm like, okay, uh, that answers that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the same thing happened again, uh, only it was in the fifth inning. And it was curious to me. He comes out for the sixth. This was over the weekend. And Tim Heron's up thrown in the bullpen to start the sixth inning. And I'm thinking, at that point, I think Bieber had allowed one run, I believe. And I'm going, is Bieber hurt? This is odd. And eight pitches later, he had given up three more runs because he suddenly had, what did he suddenly have, David? Nothing. Nothing. And I don't, this is not to knock Beaver. I mean, this is, I mean, I was using Jim Palmer as the example because that was exactly, I remember I, I gave Weaver that open door and uh, he took it. And he also was teaching me, so he was always teaching writer stuff, something too. That sometimes you don't even bother to explain it. Whatever he had, it was like some bird on his shoulder. It flew away, it was gone. <laughs> and, but you wonder, um, because I go back to a few years ago at the end of the 21 season when Bieber missed three months. Remember, he had some um, lack of strength in his shoulder. Uh, I'm not saying that's happening now, but you always have to be careful with guys who've had arm things. It goes back to my theory of when you're a younger pitcher and they want to throw 20 or 30 or 40 million at you, take it, take it. Take it, take it. You could call Corey Kluber. He'll tell you to take it. He'll call Carlos Carrasco. He kept going back for more extensions. Take them, <laughs> take them. Jake Westbrook will tell you, I took it, and three months later I hurt my elbow and I'm having surgery. Take it. Then the next one you could do whatever you want, you know. But you, you're out there, and because Bieber is still a year and a half away from free agency. So I now does this impact – how other teams look at Beaver? Does this impact, um, you know, what the, what the Guardians do? I don't know, but two games in a row that bothers me. So let's just watch this in the next start. Let's see if he goes from a lot to nothing in one inning. Because in both of those games, David, it was not as if he was struggling to get that far into the game. In other words, it wasn't like he was always pitching for the stretch and and that. It's like he was really in control of both of those games, and then suddenly. He had nothing, nothing. The other thing, Terry, it's not like he's getting first and thirded, you know, and a single. A, these have been usually it's home runs. Like yeah. within Boom, the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And, and it's then happening it's very a, quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a concern. So we'll see. Keep an eye on it. All right. So uh, in terms of um, people to watch down the next few weeks here, Cal Quantrill, Cal Quantrill, sorry, uh, had a rehab start for the Rubber Ducks down in Akron last uh, over the weekend, and he threw 58 pitches, gave up three hits. He walked one and struck out five. 
some encouraging signs. He said he felt uh, pretty clean and easy, I think was the quote that he gave when he was asked about how he was feeling. Clean and easy Sunday. Right. (laughs) It's an old uh, Lionel Richie song. Yeah, I I like that. (laughs) Um, What are you expecting from Cal Quantrill down the road here? He has been the most underrated pitcher the last couple of years on the team. Uh, He doesn't have the overwhelming stuff of McKenzie or Beaver, but he wins games. He fights through six innings. I really like Quantrill. And I was glad, finally, when he went to them and said his shoulder was bothering him or whatever the problem was, because I couldn't figure out what was going on with him. His um, velocity had not dropped a lot, but suddenly he had nothing. (laughs) And I think it was because he couldn't throw his breaking ball. And so he took a cortisone shot in the shoulder, and they did some other things with that. So we'll see how that goes. And sometimes you just uh, can't inflame an area, and the cortisone and, and some other stuff helps. So he he's a guy that they really need because these young pitchers, as we see, you know, five innings is, is a lot for some of them at this point. Uh, I'm not worried about having too many starters, not on this team. I'm not worried about having too many starters when Aaron Savali has been on the disabled list. I don't know how many times in the last three years, five times or whatever it is. Uh, everybody will and get Tristan McKenzie and Tristan McKenzie going through what well, he's going through, too. I, yeah, I, I'm not I don't know anything. But in my mind, I've written him off for the season because I mean, we're going into July. Yep. He's not touching the ball. All right, Terry, The uh, we've been talking pitching. The Guardians are starting to hit. Jose Ramirez, Josh Naylor, Andres Jimenez, uh, all kind of throwing their hats in the all-star conversation. A little bit Naylor probably more yeah, Naylor, than the other Naylor two. Yeah, the most, but Jose. But they're all hitting over 300 in June, which is good. Uh, those yeah, three. and th- which has been great to see. And also Bo Naylor got his yeah. first major league hit last week and uh, early impressions of him so far. And if you want to talk about any, any of the other guys, you can too. But um, Bo Naylor has started to settle in, it seems like. And he got a couple of hits over the weekend and after that. Um, I think he's looked pretty good behind the plate. Have you had any thoughts? Yeah, I th- it's you know it's about getting at bats, and I think he's settling in. He had a nice um, – he fought off a pitch for his first major league hit and yeah. dumped it into a short left center field. I thought that was a really good at bat, and he got rewarded for it. But, uh, you know, he's he's going to give mean, them more than what they were getting at that position, regardless whether he's 220 or 260. So, David, how do you think he looked defensively? Pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he could use a little more work blocking balls, but he looked better than the other guy. By the way, um, the more I see a Cam Gallagher – I don't want to see him bat, but the more I see him catching, I he, it, this is a hedges-like guy back there. He he just knocks everything down. He works the pitches, uh, which is why I wanted was pushing for the Zanino. You didn't need Zanino to lead the staff. If you need a guy in that room, you've got one in Gallagher. And I was told that in spring training, that he's really good with the pitchers. He's really good defensively and can't hit at all. Uh, and that's okay. You could have one of those guys. And you work with the kid. The thing about, I think, you know, players are watching the same games we're watching. And by that, I mean the players on the Guardians. And they were seeing, they may like Zanino personally, but they're saying, this is pathetic. All right, Terry, I, I, I got something I've been thinking about, Terry. I want to run a pass here, right? <laughs> so, yes. Um, so b- baseball has modernized, right, with um, the new base sizes and the pitch clock and everything. And I was at Gavin Williams' first start last week. And he, he acquitted himself well. And he walked off the field after he put in a really strong performance in his first major league start. And the fans stood up and gave him kind of a standing ovation. And he walked off the field. And I'm like, you know what I miss? I miss the hat tip. I agree. And it's not like – like Fred, I'm watching the game the other night. Freddie Freeman of the Dodgers got his 2,000th hit. They stopped the game. They threw the ball into the dugout so he could have it. He took off his batting helmet and did a big wave with it to salute the fans for his 2,000. I'm not talking about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, Terry. Like back in the day when a player would leave the game after a good performance, he would just kind of lift the bill of his cap just an inch or two. And there's every sport has things like this, right? Like in hockey when it's your first NHL game, you go out to warm up by yourself. Mm, I didn't know that. I like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, for like five minutes, you skate around on the ice, and you're the only one on the ice in front of the whole arena, and then everybody else comes out after that. It's just kind of a little thing, and it's it's cool. And I miss the hat tip in baseball, and I'm not saying this to kind of come down on Gavin Williams. No. But, like, I think every Major League Baseball player, whenever they're saluted by the fans, just lift your head up just like an inch, and it's just a way to say, like, hey – I, I see you. I appreciate the gesture and like, um, you know, thanks for coming out. And 
thanks for being a fan. And like, it's just a little thing that I think has really been lost in baseball. And I would love to see everybody do that and, and kind of bring that back. What do you think of that? I like that. And I remember like when guys would hit big home runs, sometimes that they come out of the dugout and kind of wave at the fans. Remember that? Mm-hmm. I remember seeing Tommy and, and uh, some of those other guys on the, there. I, I like it. Um, as you said, don't make a big show of it, but it's a thank you. The first person like, I remember uh, where I remember getting some emails about Corey Kluber was not doing it. And, you know, he was always getting these huge ovations and they said, boy, they even like uh, Charles Nagy did it. And some other, it's sort of a newer phenomenon where they don't do it at all. Um, and that's how it gets lost is just kind of the, the older guys don't pass it down to the younger yes, guys. And yeah. And you're better, if your better pitchers did it and then mentioned to the guys, Hey, go ahead and do it. Um, the other people are going to like it. Uh, the fans like it. They're paying the salary. Uh, and it isn't, as you said, not make a big show of it unless you've got a, some kind of milestone was broken. But just to let them know, um, what did you think of Williams when you saw him in person? I liked what I saw. I th- I think he's big. He's got seems like he has good mechanics. I'm no pitching expert. And he, uh, you know, I was watching him warm up. He just looked like he was just going about his business. He didn't seem like he was rattled or anything. What did you think? Yeah, when he had the rough, was it the third inning, I believe? Mm-hmm. And then he got through another, one another, two plus innings after that. That showed me a lot. I like his breaking ball along with the fastball. It it, it was hard to hit. He, of course, he's got the size. He walks out there and he looks like some guy's been the big leagues 10 years with this, uh, you know, like he's in his early 30s, but just the way he's built. And so it it's exciting to see another, another good one coming. And he looked like he had a lot of poise. We'll see more in these other starts. But, you know, Bybee uh, has that. Allen's had a little bit of a rocky uh, uh, stretch, but I like him too. Uh, Quantrill's coming. Um, you know, with when you're when you're watching Savali, it is always a bit on the tightrope because he doesn't have the overwhelming stuff. He's relying on that big old curve and and really good location. Um, Tom Hamilton keeps saying he has six pitches, and this is one of my theories. It's like you should never have more pitches than the catcher has fingers. Now they don't worry about using fingers anymore but if you got more than five you probably have too many <laughs> even with the electronics they're using now it's still five is too five it's, is enough it's, right yeah it's pretty hard to <laughs> i mean you know it's like early on in life i had somebody tell me it's very hard to find you know one or two things you do really well and much less five and in fact if you this is you want I got to do a faith column sort of on this. If you can find something you really like to do and you do it reasonably well and you get paid reasonably well to do it, you have found your niche because a lot of times we have things we love to do, but we're not very good at them or we love to do it, but nobody will pay us to do it. So in other words, if you got a really good fastball and you got a really good curve and you got a decent changeup, you need nothing else. You yep. don't need you don't need that cutter that goes sideways with the you know the split fingered whatever um, sweeper pick, and the, the sweeper. <laughs> three pitches is really good. Um, I had a friend of mine too like for a while in seminaries they taught uh, preaching and they, they, the standard thing would be to teach the three point sermon. Well, um, a close friend of mine, Pastor uh, Ronald Fowler, from uh, he's uh, retired now from Arlington Church of God in Akron, an African-American church. He said, so he said to his, uh, one of his mentors back in the day, uh, well, well, Pastor, how many, how many points should a good sermon have? And the pastor paused and said, well, one is really a good idea. You know, you go back to the one thing you do well. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's even that when I build a story. What is the main point that I'm trying to make? And I really think, too, if you go out there, say you're a pitcher, what is your one pitch you want to establish early on? Is it the fastball? Is it the you know the breaking ball? Let's have that one pitch you could build off of. Jarrett Wright told me when he went to the Atlanta Braves, this is back when they were rolling with you know Maddox and all those guys, Glavin. He said he wanted he going. Leo Mazzoni was the famed pitching coach then, and Mazzoni took him down to the bullpen and says, "Jarrett, they're trying to rebuild Jarrett's career. He had gotten hurt and all this stuff, and he's trying to throw you know 97 miles an hour." And Mazzoni's just standing after about five minutes. Are you done yet? 
and he's shaking his head. And he, then he goes, he takes the catcher, puts him on the outside corner of the knees. He goes, now I want you to hit that spot eight out of 10 times. Now you keep throwing till we find that proper speed so that you could hit that spot like 70 to 80% of the time. It transformed him. He began doing that, throwing that 92, 93, nice and easy, clean and easy for that thing. And again, he found that one pitch and then he built with the breaking pitch off of it. And he began to rebuild himself there. Unfortunately, he got hurt again. Um, but also because what he wanted to do was develop a pitch that just didn't put so much strain on the arm. And that was build it on the location. So I have no idea where that went, but I've longed to tell that story for a while. Oh, it's a great one. Um, I, I got to know Steve Trout. Do you remember him? Mm -hmm. He played for the Cubs and White Sox for a long time, son of Dizzy Trout, yep. the, 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 the Detroit Tigers. Great. I guess you could call mm -hmm. him from back in the day. But he said you should be able to ride your fastball through the first the first time through the order. Mm -hmm. Like your fastball should get you through that first time. And if it can't, then you got to figure something else out. But he's like, you, keep it simple, just like you're saying. Rely on one thing and do it right and do it well, and that'll get you through the first few innings, um, which I thought was really interesting too. But I also believe when you're throwing a pitch and you're, it's going where you want it to, it just builds your confidence in other things. It's Absolutely. Kind of, it, it's, it's kind of like when you come up to the plate the first time, you know, just try to hit the ball hard as opposed to hit the ball out, um, You know, get some good contact going. So uh, this is for a guy who couldn't pitch at all. But the great thing about um, – having done this for so long as I have, is I've been around some remarkable people telling me this is what worked for them. Uh, that was, if you watched, uh, I remember when Oral Hirschheiser came here and Dennis Martinez, you know, they were on the downside of their career. They weren't throwing nearly as hard as they did, but man, those guys could get through six and seven innings in tough games, relying on a couple of pitches um, because they found ways also to pitch a long time too. The radar gun, the, the emphasis on the radar gun going all the way down to high school and everything else, it's messing these kids' arms up. That's part of why you're seeing a lot of arm injuries. They're, they're, they want to know, they come off the field, how, how hard was I throwing? How hard was I throwing? You know, and as opposed to, did you get anybody out? Well, and that's why we've seen all these innings restrictions in high school baseball sure. where they, they're limiting all that. They don't want to have these kids' arms ruined by the time they're 18 years old. So. Um, all right, Terry, really good stuff. Um, hey, let's move along. We're running a little behind here, and I want to get to the Browns real quick. You wrote about Deshaun Watson over the weekend and what you've been hearing about Deshaun Watson and how things are going to be different for him and the Browns in 2023. Why don't you get into that? Well, i just trying to check. And we were out there. Uh, I was out a couple times. I think our Cleveland.com crew saw him four or five times. We didn't see all the practices that were uh, that they held. But I was more interested, how's he doing with the coaching staff on that? So I talked to some people very close to the situation. And if it was, you know, something, oh, they're doing fine. They're doing okay. They're communicating. But what I heard was very, in other words, they were enthusiastic about what they saw. And these are people, I think, otherwise, say if it's okay, they would just say it's okay. But they were, they were talking about how um, Stefanski has lit into Watson in front of the team and has coached him tough and Watson wants it that way and that actually goes back to his days with Clemson remember that's where uh, Bebo uh, uh, Sweeney, Dabble Sweeney Dabble Sweeney excuse me I was gonna have Bebo Samuel coach that team for a minute <laughs> Dabble Sweeney uh, was uh, mentioned you know he's the next Michael Jordan he went over the top what he meant about was leadership and and toughness and actually other than his last year at Houston where things fell apart all over the place uh, I'm talking about his relationship with the coach and the organization. It was the same thing. I mean, he was, you know, he was a good guy uh, in terms of how he handled the leadership stuff, respected by the players, and they're seeing that. And on top of it, I was told, because a couple of things that I saw, he threw the ball very, very well. Like, you know, nobody's getting hit. There's five extras against next to all of it, but better than last year and certainly better than the quarterbacks we've watched. And they go, that's pretty much how it was every practice. So what we've seen so far, with Watson and what I've heard is very encouraging. 
Yeah, and uh, Mary Kay Cabot, our esteemed Browns reporter, got a question from a fan over the weekend. Do you think the national media is underestimating the Browns? And I want to I get all this on the record, so we're actually going to put a post up in the next couple of days here about what people are saying nationally. I want to see how this plays mm-hmm. out because I think the enthusiasm, we're seeing it, but I think the rest of the country is like, oh, it's going to be the same old Browns. So it's going to be – somebody's going to be wrong and somebody's going to be right. So Well, basically, right now – the last time anybody that saw Deshaun Watson play, he looked bad, period. And we could do all the exclamations and whatever, but that's what they saw. Then on top of it, you had the suspension and all the off-the-field stories. And after all, they are the Browns or whatever they do goes wrong. And I, by the way, I hope the national media thinks they're going to go 0-17. Fine. Every time this team gets hyped the last few years – it stinks. Remember when they had Odell Beckham, they made the trade for him, and here comes Freddie Kitchens and all that junk. What was that, 6 and 10 or whatever that year was? And then remember, after they were 10 and 6 in 2020, 21 came along, and Baker Mayfield was going to take another step and all that. What was that? What was that year? I forgot what they were, you know, um, under 500. So 7 and 9, I think it was. So it was just a, a really – you know, fine. Let him think Watson's going to be terrible. The team's awful. Same old Browns. Um, okay. Besides this overall, my pastor, by the way, Bishop Joey Johnson is talking to me and he goes, I just seen that, saw this thing online. You know, since the Browns came back in 1999, they have their worst record in the NFL. I said, well, thanks for passing that along. Uh, <laughs> I, I believe it. I was there, but it's like, that's who you are. Until you prove otherwise. You need your football (laughs) sins forgiven. (laughs) It's a one-point sermon. It's a one-point sermon. Here's the other point of the sermon is to repent means not just you're sorry, but you're sorry enough to change. Change your ways. Win some games. Have two winning seasons in a row for the first time since the late 80s and rolling right into 1990. Think about that. Since 1990, they have not had – Two winning seasons in a row. Say amen. Amen. Preach, okay. Brother Terry. Preach it. There you go. <laughs> All right. Um, hey, Terry, I have not had a chance to read your Faith in You column for this week, but I, I know you're writing about Gettysburg, and you've been reading uh, some books about Gettysburg lately that you've talked about on the podcast, but uh, it's it's always fascinating. I know you're such a student of the Civil War. Why don't you mention real quick uh, about your column for this week, and I will read it as soon as we get off the podcast here. Well, we start on July 1st. It's the 160th, 160 anniversary of the Battle of Gettysburg, which lasted not one, not two, but three days of utter carnage and that. And one of my things as someone who loves history is I just get so weary of people saying it's never been worse than this. It's as bad as it ever was in this country. You are clueless. I sometimes used to say, well, that your knowledge of history, if you say things like that, wouldn't fit in a thimble, but they wouldn't know what a thimble is because that goes back into history too. In other <laughs> words, you, you know, basically, same thing we said about uh, the guys, uh, Bieber, nothing. You know nothing if that's what you believe. And that's not to say things are great right now, but my goodness, when you have over 55,000 casualties in three days in the heart of Pennsylvania and you had farms destroyed and uh, – Barnes taken over and turned into hospitals and you have the country on the edge because had the South prevailed in that battle very well, we could have ended up being two different countries because there would have been a lot of pressure for the North to just settle. Abraham Lincoln just cut a deal and let the South go its own way. Um, so the, 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 the thing about the uh, column is just to remind us, this country, what is us, what this country's been through. Take a ride to Gettysburg. Take a ride to Antietam. Both are about five or six hours away. Antietam's in western Maryland. And just look around at the countryside, then imagine what it was like. So excuse me, because we're having some problems now, it doesn't mean this is the Civil War with dead bodies in your front yard. Yeah, literally it was a Civil War. Yes. Talking about the division. Jesus, there were brothers fighting brothers. and, Yeah, pretty amazing stuff. So. All right, check that column out this weekend, Terry's Faith in You column. It'll be on cleveland.com on Saturday and then in the Plain Dealer on Sunday. So thanks for that, Terry. All right, Terry, uh, we're running behind here. I want to kind of wrap up. We got a Hey Terry question here from Terry Ramey 
from Burlington, North Carolina. He, he writes about Guardians prospects, and he says, Hey, Terry, I see the MLB draft is coming up, and it made me think of how many Guardians prospects we have let go and are finding success with other teams. It was very disheartening. Yandy Diaz, Francisco right, Mejia. Let's go through them one at a time because I All did right. look it up. Okay. Right. Yandy Diaz was part of a four-way trade, and he had to, Tampa wanted him in the deal because Tampa Bay was picking up part of Carlos Santana's salary, and at that point, the Guardians were really trying to go for it. They liked Diaz, but they wanted Santana back, and Santana made the All-Star team that year in 2019. So, yeah, Diaz is playing well. was one of my favorite players, one of my favorite players' prospects, but they did get a guy who made the All-Star team in return. It was a prospect for an immediate gain. Okay, who's next? All right, Francisco Mejia. All right, the guy said 240 with a bunch of different teams. They traded him to San Diego, and they got back Brad Hand. And guess what Brad Hand did in 2019? He made the All-Star team. All right, okay. Owen Miller. Owen Miller is my guy, and, I, you know, I forgot who the heck they got for him. It's it, that, that bothered me. All right, so you you agree with Terry on that one then. Yes. Uh, to, he mentions top 50 prospect Junior Caminero. Yeah, I had to look up who they got for him. I mean, Junior Caminero, he, they picked him up, Tampa Bay did, after one year, like playing in the Dominican League, you know, I mean, really young. Well, right now, at the age of 19, Caminero sitting 333 with 15 homers. He just is between Class A and Double A. They got a pitcher who was once a hot prospect named Tobias Myers. He's not even on the organization. That one could hurt for a long time. Maybe, the, by the way, it might be you may not want to trade with Tampa Bay for hitters. Just like I've had some people say, if you're trading with Cleveland for their pitchers, be very careful because it seems like by the time they get rid of them, they're done. So. Okay, who else? We trade, with, trade, with, trade with San Diego instead. That's much better. Yes. For, for anything. So, all right, and he mentions Nolan Jones and Will Benson. Okay, Will Benson, he's, to me, he's still got to show he can do something. I know he's off to a decent start with Cincinnati. He's got so many holes in his swing. I was not a huge Nolan Jones fan, but he's hitting a ton in, in, uh, uh, for, the, uh, for Colorado. They did get a guy named Brito, who's a really good prospect at uh, AA for Akron. So, you know, some do, some don't. But remember, in the same way, part of what you do is you sometimes are willing to trade prospects for guys to help your team right now. Now, the Yankees, remember, they traded uh, to get Andrew Miller, helped him get to the World Series. There was like a, a Justice Sheffield, a top pitcher. Uh, there was Clint Frazier. Was Clint was Frazier part of that deal? Yes. Right. Yeah. And a couple of other pitchers whose names escaped me. Four prospects. I mean, very, you know, Baseball America type guys. And uh, they never just panned out. And Miller was a really good short-term fit for a couple of years for them. All right. And Terry, Ramey goes on to say, uh, do they have such a strict profile that they want to see that they're just not willing to give these players a real chance at the major league level? We're missing out on some good major league players. I'm afraid they're going to do the same thing with Oscar Gonzalez. I like Will Brennan, but as a fourth outfielder or rotational piece. And he says, thank you for your articles and podcasts. So thanks for that letter, Terry. Yeah, so again, it's Terry Ramey from Burlington, North Carolina. Ter so. Terry puts up a lot of good stuff on my uh Facebook page too. So by the way, and that's sometimes where I get questions from the Hey Terry thing is on, it's a, it's like a business type of Facebook page. Uh, that's always a danger. You know, baseball, you got a bunch of guys coming and going and not, we could, of course you could turn around and uh, the Padres got to wonder, why did we ever trade Corey Kluber? And you can yeah, just go right down the line. Go ahead, David. You know, I was just going to say our good friend, Dennis Manloff, who was a plane dealer reporter for a long time, used to do a thing called the X-Files where yeah. he would list former Cleveland baseball players and what they were doing with other teams. And I think every team kind of has this thing where they feel like they've lo they've let guys get away too soon. And I, you know, I think the guardians win more than they lose on this front, but it's always interesting to see what guy, but I think Cleveland fans, I don't know if it's like an inferiority complex yes. or what, but they're always like, Oh, we, we gave up on that guy too soon. And sometimes you don't remember kind of what the team got in return. So yeah, or how they picked up other teams prospects. I mean, by the way, the Padres had just given up totally on Cal Quantrill. They put him in the bullpen, didn't know what to do with him. Um, and right now, fans forget he won 15 games last year. And, it, you know, he, he's been a really good pitcher. And they gave up on Josh Naylor. They got to be going, what is this guy doing? 
this guy breaks his leg in half and then he's going to make, he should make the all-star team. So there are a lot of, that's the fun thing about baseball. You had so many guys coming and going in the minor leagues and you really have players come from all parts of the globe um, that, you know, it used to be just how you scout domestically. Now it's like, you know, for example, that Junior Caminero. Who the heck knew Junior, Junior Caminero? Somebody with Tampa Bay knew about him, and they were, they saw him as a 19-year-old, and they got him for, for this guy, Tobias uh, Myers, who's somebody with the Guardians liked a lot. And Myers has flopped, and Caminero, look out. So it could be one they, they regret, but as you mentioned, the Padres, they regret a lot of what they gave up too. That's for sure. All right. If, again, if you want to hit Terry on his Facebook page, you can do that. It's a great place to get us questions. Or if you want to email us, you can yep. send it to sports at cleveland.com and just put Terry's talking or Hey Terry in the subject line. And we'll try and get it on next week's podcast. I got to apologize. We did have a couple more, some really creative questions. I'm going to hold those for next week because we're running a little bit late here. And um, somebody uh, has sent in a top 10 list of Nobody asked me, but Terry. So ah. I want to give that some time, so we're not rushing it. So we'll try and get into that next week. So By I think way, we're good. Yeah, no, good. Nobody asked me, but this podcast is over. It is. <laughs> I think we're done. Have a great time out at the library tonight, Terry. And uh, we will both tip our caps right now to all the people listening. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week on Terry's Talking.